good morning and welcome. Happy Father's Day. Um, I have the pleasure of having my dad visiting actually this morning all the way from Maryborough. So happy Father's Day, Dad. Great to have you here. That handsome looking man over there happens to be my dad. How awesome. Um, so I love you, Dad. Appreciate that. I feel like the tables have turned a little bit. My dad is a pastor in the Nazarene church um, in Maryborough, but growing up, my dad has, was preaching and I was often used as examples in his sermons. And, um, but I mean, I think I liked the attention, so it was all right. Um, but the tables have turned here, so watch out. Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, well, for those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Adam, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Church. I look after the youth and the young adults. Um, you might have seen this morning we had an awesome game of handball going in that new section over there. Feel free to join in. Hey, guys, it'd be good. Fantastic. Well, we are in the middle of a 31-week... Well, actually, we're not in the middle. We're towards the end of a 31-week series called The Story. And it's okay. If you haven't been joining us, you'll be able to just slot straight in. You'll be able to understand what's going on. But this comes from a book called The Story, and this is an abridged version of the Bible where large chunks of Scripture have been selected and put together to create a chronological sort of outline of what God has been doing, not only in the upper story, but also in the lower story, what's going on here that we can observe. And so we started all the way back in Genesis when God created all things, and it was good. And there was this close, intimate relationship between God and His creation. And we walked close with Him. Unfortunately, uh, we chose to go our own way um, by taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and taking that on our own back. And that relationship was fractured and broken. And since then, God's redemption plan has been put into place. And we see this story where God chose a nation to show what it truly means to walk with their, with their God. But their struggle between the things of this world and following God and the backwards and forwards. And all through that, we saw God's grace and His mercy and His patience with these people who just seem to not get it right. That doesn't sound like us, does it? We always get it right, don't we? It's a picture of who we are. And at times we're close with God. At times we're walking our own way. But God is always there urging us to come to him. And we got all the way to the New Testament where we see Jesus who came in human form, fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life that we could not, bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders and the consequence of that, which is death, and he defeated death and rose in victory, which we too can when we put our trust in him. The victory is won. It's exciting. Then last week, um, Kate spoke to us about um, the Holy Spirit, you know, had, has been at work in, in creation since the beginning. But this is a moment where Jesus promised that to all believers, the Holy Spirit would be given to dwell in you and to empower the church to be the church that God has called us to be. <clears throat> and that brings us to this week. Week number 29. Only two more to go. And we are looking at the mission of Paul, Paul's mission. And there's a lot in this chapter. If you read the chapter this week, there's so much going on. And I'm going to have to be brief with a lot of it. But we're looking at Paul and the early church because I think that there is some key truths that still apply for us today about our mission as the church and who we are called to be. And so Paul, who was known as Saul, 
Saul, Paul, same guy. He began his career as a radical Jewish um, scholar who was so convinced that the Christians were wrong that he had imprisoned them and stoned them. So this man was uh, well-versed in the Torah, the Old Testament, and, and the law, and he lived it out. He observed it religiously, and he was proud of this. And because of this belief that he was holding on to, he thought that Jesus was not the true Messiah. The true Messiah looks something different to what he thought. And so he was persecuting fervently the Christians. But after an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, he became a Christ follower himself. He met Jesus in a powerful way. He was blinded by the um, glory of God physically. He thought he knew the way. He thought he knew what was true. He thought he could see clearly. But when he met Jesus, he realized that in a very real sense, he was blind by his, uh, I don't know, holding on to what he thought was true. So he was physically and spiritually blind. But when his eyes were opened and he realized that Jesus really is who he said he was, he decided to put that same energy, that same zealousness, zealousness? I think it's a word, um, for, for finding the truth that he did for Jesus. And so Saul, known as Paul as well, proclaimed Jesus to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. Now, something that I noticed reading this passage, um, this section of scripture recently, um, and I've been reading the Bible for a while now, but this stood out to me, was I always assumed, and I've heard this from other people, that Saul, that was his name. Like, his name was Saul. He had this experience with Jesus, and he was blinded, he came to light, and then Jesus was like, you will now be called Paul because you'll be a fisher of men or whatever. But I was actually mistaking that for what he did with some of his disciples, renaming. What actually happened is Saul, Paul, he always had these two names. Saul was his Jewish name. And so remembering he was a proud Jew who was a scholar and fervent, this is the name he chose to use. I am a Jew and I follow the Torah and the law religiously. This is who I am. And so even when Jesus refers to, um, uh, to Saul, he uses that name. And when he goes out and speaks to the, to the Jews, he's, he's using the name Saul. But you'll notice that all of a sudden his name changes. When Luke, the author of Acts, um, refers to him going out to speak to the Gentiles, all of a sudden his name flips to Paul because that is his Greek name. It's this intentional literary device used to show the shift in Saul, Paul's mentality and should be our understanding of who the gospel is for. All of a sudden, it's not just for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. It's for us. It's for all. And I think that this is actually a powerful... Oh, no, Siri, we're not talking to you, mate. You can just sit still. Sorry about that. I don't know. Anyway, technology. An intentional shift. And it's powerful because... He was speaking into the context that God had called him to speak into, if that makes sense. He was speaking in a context where a Greek name would make sense. He didn't need to hold on to his Jewishness. He went, you know what, I need to actually just be the person God has called me to be so that I can speak to the people he's called me to speak to. This is powerful. This is going to come back in my later part of my, my sermon. So Saul, Paul, either one, it's the same guy. 
and led by the Holy Spirit, he and other believers in his home base of Antioch in Syria, they had this commissioning moment for Paul and Barnabas, and they, was, and they sent them out on a missionary journey to spread the good news that Jesus the Messiah had been raised from the dead. And in this chapter of the story that we read, we begin to see exactly why the Lord chose Paul to be his ambassador to the nations. You see, not only did Paul possess a brilliant theological mind, he understood the theory about who God was in relation to us and all those sorts of things. He also had an evangelistic zeal. He was zealous for sharing this good news with a passion, but he also coupled it with a pastoral heart. Right? Although he was passionate and wanted to share the truth and he was proclaiming it, he also had a pastoral heart. You know, when he was speaking to, he didn't just share the news about Jesus and then go on his way. He cared about what happened afterwards. He wrote letters to the churches. He encouraged them. When people were struggling and, and, and not really grasping what they were supposed to be, he wrote to them and said, hey, look, here's where you're at, but I know that Jesus has more for you. And he encouraged them in that. So it's actually a really cool balance that we see in Paul in that respect. But here's something that's a little bit questionable. Paul kept a near frantic pace constantly. So I don't know what his work home life was like, but he kept up this frantic pace. When he was traveling throughout the Mediterranean world, when he was not preaching, he was making tents because he was actually a tent maker. That's how he funded his missionary journeys. He was making tents and funding his own way. He was also writing letters and forming disciples. This guy was, was just doing heaps of stuff, doing heaps of things. But he had some very core um, values that he held to that he did this work out of. It wasn't just in his own strength. And we're going to dive into that. So we come to this commissioning. This is where I kind of want to dig into the story a little bit deeper. And so I want to read to you from Acts 13, 1 to 3. This is the story about Paul and Barnabas' um, commissioning. Or at this point, he's called Saul. Okay? This is what it says. Now, in the church at Antioch, where the prophets and teachers, uh, uh, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, Kudniger, Lucius of Syrian, uh, sorry, of Syrian, Manon, I struggle with names, just saying right now, who had been brought up through, uh, with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to qu quickly clarify, clarify. There is a word Niger, right? pronounced in that form, but it is spelt in a way that might be a little bit offensive, but I just want to highlight the fact that this is actually a Latin word that was a nickname given to Simon. And so it is in your Bible if you've got an NIV, but it is not a racial slur. It is not meant to be derogatory. In fact, Lucius is a Latin name. And so scholars assume that this was a name given in a native tongue to someone in endearment. So when you read this, it might be a little bit like, oh, that word looks like another word I know. And in some respects it is, but it's nowhere near related in its meaning and terminology, okay? Let me just get that out the way. Make sure the elephant in the room is well looked after. So we continue on. These people, these teachers and these prophets, and, and that are in a room together. And while they were worshipping, so verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so the first thing of note about the early church that we learn is, and this is my first point this morning, is that the early church exhibited a vibrant prayer life and a radical dependence on the Holy Spirit. The early church exhibited a vibrant prayer life and a radical dependence on the Holy Spirit. And this was the basis for Paul and Barnabas's missionary journeys. But not just for them, the whole church. But it's highlighted in them in this. And we see this multiple times in Scripture in, in the, the movement of the early church where they're gathered, they're praying, and they're seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance. I mean, why wouldn't you? Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would be given in order to encourage, to enable them to be the church, to guide all these things. And they went, well, well, man, we, we, this is a gift. We're going to make use of that. Why not? It's a blessing that God had bestowed upon them, so they sought after that. And so the basis for all they did was prayer, and more than just corporate prayer, they also prayed individually. There was a combination of both, because the more they spent time with the Lord, and this is true for us. Let me speak to us here and now. The more time we spend seeking the Lord in prayer, either corporately or individually, when we seek the Lord through his scripture, when we seek the Lord through silence and solitude, the more we hear from him, the more we recognize his voice when he speaks to us. And so if you want to take seriously the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if you want to be able to to rely on God's leading more and more in your life, then I'd say spend more and more time speaking with him. Because it's like any relationship. The more time you put in with someone, the more you recognize them, even if they write something down, you go, that sounds like my wife, because I know how she speaks. The same goes for Jesus. Remembering that way back in Genesis, the thing that was broken in the Garden of Eden was the relationship between us. And what Jesus did for us on the cross was provide a way back to that right relationship. And that's what we have When we come to Jesus in faith, we have a relationship with our God. So, as we see, the decision of Paul to set out on his first missionary journey with Barnabas grew out of a concentrated season of prayer with several prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch. As you read about the spread of the early church that followed Paul's commissioning, it is clear that Paul went to places where he could find potential leaders to carry the, mission, uh, the message about Jesus forward. He did this by having a strategic focus on key cultural centres. You see, it was no accident that... Um, suspense. Well, it was no accident that he went and spread the message in the cities of the Roman world. He went to the cities there because Paul knew that these were the places where he would find culture shapers, those that understood what was being spoken about in their time. They understood what people were looking towards, what people were talking about, what they were watching on TV, what they were hearing on podcasts, what they were learning in university and at schools, and they were able to speak to people in that culture. 
Paul knew that these were the places where he could find these people. And Paul knew that if he was going to reach people in that day and age, then he needed to understand how they think. And so I think my second point, not I think, I know my second point this morning is that the early church, the early church understood how to reach people in their current culture. The early church understood how to reach people in their current culture. And the way they did that was not to bury their head in the sand about a culture that was um, you know, anti-Jesus or even skeptical of this new movement. They went, okay, what is, who is it that God is calling us to minister to? And how can we speak into their lives? And the same is true as for us. I often speak with people um, and we talk about you know, how we can share the gospel today or that sort of thing. It's not even around that. It's more just, I can't believe how secularized the uh, culture is today. You know, we're post-Christian. You know, the church is seen as almost a bit sus. Like the church is actually a negative thing seen in, 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 in culture today. And so there's a lot of negativity about our opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. And I actually want to encourage you, church, we have a unique opportunity in this day and age and in this culture that may have been, I don't know, it seems like it's a new opportunity to me. Because what postmodernism, which seems to be the catchphrase for today, is what we're in now, it seems to be very much about relative truth. So what I mean by that is that may be true for you, but that's not my truth, that's not my experience. That is very much our culture today. That may be your experience, but that's not my experience. Good for you, but that's not for me. It's experiential. As much as we claim to be scientific and about the hard facts, I think that sometimes that's a facade because we see very often that it's about experience. Maybe yours, but not mine. And so what we can do is when we understand that that's kind of the culture we're in, obviously it's going to be different for each person, but this seems to be what we're talking about. It is so easy to be able to say, well, I see that you are searching for something greater than yourself, searching for meaning. You're searching for what it is that your purpose is in life. Fantastic. So am I. Can I share with you where I found my truth in that? I believe it's truth for you too, but this is my experience. We have an opportunity to share our experience. And as much as, you know, you know, we'd love to say, this is what you need, this is what you need to have. You know, you need to come to Jesus, he'll sort all your issues. I think that we have an opportunity to just share our story. And if we understand our culture, we can do that. Paul does a very similar thing in, in Acts. In fact, I want to read that to you. Um, he's... In Athens, so this is Acts 17, verse 22 to 23. Um, he's in Athens and he's um, speaking, to, speaking um, at a council. And um, this is a very, uh, they have all these shrines set up to all these different gods and all that sort of thing. And so he could look at this place and go, my goodness, you guys are, are worshipping like, like pagans. There's so much wrong with what's going on here. But instead, this is what Paul says. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I, walk, as, I, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to the unknown God. This God 
whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. And he goes on to share about who Jesus is. He's the first and the last. He's the creator of all things. And he desires to be close to you. He's the one true God. You notice that he didn't say everything you're doing is wrong. Your pagan worship is, is, is an abomination to God. Instead, he looked deeper and understood that these people were seeking truth. These people were seeking who it is that they should be worshipping because they knew that there was something greater than themselves. And so Paul narrowed in on that desire inside them and went, this is good that you're seeking the truth. This is good that you're realising that there may be a God that you don't understand or fully know. Let me tell you about him. Press into this because you will find God. You will find the truth that you are seeking. This is a powerful way to share the good news of Jesus. And I think Jesus modelled this very well. Whenever he spoke with people um, who were genuinely seeking, he never spoke harshly to them. Instead, he encouraged them. The only people he spoke really harshly were those who thought they knew, who thought they had it all together and, and had hard hearts. But you know what? I'm not Jesus, so I tread lightly with speaking harshly to people. You know what I mean? I think Jesus had great motives at all times. But he always spoke to people who were seeking with a tender voice that was calling them to something greater. And this is for us too. Well, we come to Paul's second and third missionary journey. And there's some things of note in there that I'm just going to sort of gloss over to keep you going with the story. The first thing that we notice is that it begins with a tragic separation from his friend Barnabas over a dispute about you know, someone who was going to come along with them on the journey. And so they part their separate ways. The second thing we notice is that Paul pushes further towards Rome, leaving the city of Asia Minor, um, cities of Asia Minor. Paul headed to Macedonia and Greece, visiting some of the most influential urban centres of his day, continuing that mission of speaking to people who can shape the culture, who understand it and can keep going with it. And the last thing that I kind of noticed is that on this missionary trip, Paul met a young man named Timothy and invited him to join him, assisting him in his missionary work. And Timothy became like a son to Paul and himself became a significant leader in the early church. And so this, is a, this comes to my third point this morning. But just a quick recap, remembering... The basis for everything that they did came out of a fervent, uh, vibrant prayer life and a radical dependence on the Holy Spirit. They also knew how to speak to the culture which they were called to speak to. They weren't afraid of the culture. But lastly, what they did was the early church grew by forming disciples who then went on to form other disciples. You know, it was multiplication. The early church didn't just see Paul as their pastor. Well, it's his job to be the evangelist and to share about the good news of Jesus. Others took it on the board as well because we were all given the commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, church, it is our responsibility to share the good news about Jesus. Because when we do, our impact is multiplied. It's not just one person. It's the church mobilized. You know, 
here at Hills Church, we value a lot of these things, and we even have them on our banners, which may be a part of the furniture now for you guys, but I want to draw your attention back to them. You know, we glorify God in all that we do. You know, we pray together at worship, at our um, prayer service on Wednesday nights here at church, and we hope that you do that individually as well. We glorify God. We embrace people of all walks of life. This is our culture that we're speaking into. We want to understand the culture that we're speaking to in order that we can reach out to them and embrace them. We plant seeds of the gospel. That's us all going out and making disciples. And that is our next one, and making disciples of all nations. Church, this is who we are. We are a continuation of the early church. In some respects, it's not the early church and us. We are a part of the church continuing. And I want to encourage you this morning. I don't want this to be, I don't want this to come across as like a church, you need to be doing better. I actually think there are so many of you who do such a great job of these things. And it's more than a job, it's, it's a passion and it's an honor to partner with the Holy Spirit in this work. And I want to encourage you to keep going. It is up to us through the power of the Holy Spirit to share this good news with others. Let's be the church that God has called us to. Can I pray for you? And um, I want to invite the worship band to come back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, for, the, for the work of Paul in spreading the good news. And Lord, how that has benefits that have trickled down even all the way to us. God, I thank you for the fact that when you commissioned your church to be your hands and feet, you didn't do that leaving us up to our own gifts and talents and, and abilities. God, you gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to encourage us, to lift us up when we feel like we just can't keep going. And so this morning, God, as we, we continue to worship you through song, God, I pray that this would be a powerful commissioning moment for your church where we realize the call on each and every one of our lives to draw close to you and to draw others along that journey as well. God, I pray that for those that are feeling the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning, maybe to, to reach out to someone and to, to give them a word of knowledge, a word of encouragement, Lord, I pray that they would be bold and do so. God, I pray for those that are feeling the leading of the Holy Spirit to step out in a new direction. God, I pray that they would do so knowing that you ordain their footsteps. God, I just pray that your church would be faithful to your calling. Thank you, Father, in your name. Amen. Thank you, church.